What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. Tune in to Done By Law. An informal and irreverent look at the law. Critical insights and analysis from diverse community perspectives. Done by law, 6pm Tuesdays. Welcome to Done by Law on 3CR 8.55am and also welcome to those listening to the podcast or streaming on 3cr.org.au. Uh, you're listening at just after 6pm on Tuesday, the 6th of July, 2021, but we should say that this is actually a pre-recorded show and we recorded it on the afternoon of Sunday, the 4th of July, 2021. Firstly, we also acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation as the original and rightful custodians of, of the land on which we're broadcasting from. And we also pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. And we acknowledge that this land was stolen and never ceded. On that note, it's also NAIDOC week around Australia and we want, we want to acknowledge all the great things that are happening, which you can look up at nadoc.org.au. Many events have been temporarily postponed due to COVID-19, unfortunately, but it's still well worth getting involved where you can. We're your hosts, Gemma and Sue tonight. Britney Spears has been in the media spotlight for over two decades. And for that whole period, uh, she has been performing, creating music, and is one of the world's most successful artists. For more than half of her career, however, Spears has been under a conservatorship, an order of a US court put in place following a mental health experience, which provides her father, Jamie Spears, with control over her financial affairs, and until very recently, her personal affairs as well. Details of the extent of control that this gave have recently emerged as Britney and her fans have sought to end the conservatorship. No longer the butt of jokes, Spears has now become a conversation starter and has caused many of us to reevaluate the ethics and laws in place which can give so much control to a person over another. So tonight, we're talking about guardianship laws, which are the uh, equivalent laws in Australia with uh, Principal Solicitor Phil Grano, OAM. Uh, Phil is a Principal Solicitor at the Office of the Public Advocate in Victoria, and he deals every day with how guardianship laws are applied to people's lives in Victoria. Welcome, Phil, and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. So I guess to get started, um, Phil, would you mind giving us a, a brief explanation, I suppose, about what the Office of the Public Advocate does for those that don't know, and what's your role there? The Public Advocate's a statutory role. That means it's created under a statute, the Guardianship Administration Act. It's there to promote the rights of people with disability and to promote their development to act independently. It's also to protect them from abuse, neglect and exploitation. So the office undertakes advocacy, including systemic advocacy, where you're looking for changes to systems that will benefit people with disabilities. We have programs that we manage, volunteer programs for community visitors, um, people who attend prison, uh, prisons uh, to help people exercise their rights in disciplinary proceedings, and also uh, volunteers who go to police stations to help people with disability who are being interviewed by police, just to understand their rights. 
to exercise them. Um, the public advocate in this context of this discussion, she is the guardian of last resort in Victoria. Um, but we also have an advice service that people can call, telephone advice service largely, to inform the public about laws and get assistance. In relation to me, well, it's probably, there's actually a legal unit, um, so it's not, I'm not the prime mover of the work, really. Um, we provide legal services to the public advocate and her staff. We help the advice service if they get difficult questions. Um, we appear at VCAT in guardianship matters and perhaps for people with disabilities in other courts on family violence matters. And we look at all the publications from the office. If you go to our website, you'll see there are lots. So they're all reviewed by the legal unit. Phil, you mentioned just, just then that um, the Office of the Public Advocate, or the Public Advocate rather, is often a guardian of last resort. Does that often happen when uh, people don't have uh, family members um, or appropriate um, uh, people that could step in and, and, and provide that role? Um, That's right. We're certainly yeah. not the first person. We would go to the idea behind guardianship after, the, after 1986 was very much about having someone who knows the person because someone who's intimately involved in your life would know you better to be able to make decisions with you and for you. Um, so we're really the backstop where that person doesn't have that or maybe there's no one in the person's life where there could be a lot of conflict between family members or so forth. And the tribunal thinks no one's really suitable. So they choose the public advocate in those circumstances or they may. I see. Well, it's obviously a, a really critical role um, that, that you provide. Um, many listeners, I, I guess, are, are familiar with the term conservatorship from watching media reports on this, on the Britney Spears case, but that's obviously a, a US uh, law term. Um, what are the equivalent laws in place in Australia and, and to what extent do you think or do you know that they differ, I guess? Yeah, look, Australia, it, like the US, um, it's the law of each state and territory. So they're all state-based laws. Uh, they're generally, it's called guardianship in relation to personal matters and administration or financial management in relation to a person's property. So that's similar to what you saw for Britney Spears, which is about personal matters and, and property matters. Um, so in Australia, the, generally the requirements for getting a guardian or an administrator appointed are that you've got a disability, uh, you lack decision-making capacity about some matters, there's some sort of need, you know, it just can't be because speculative, there has to be a natural need for the appointment of a guardian. Um, and there's no less restrictive way of dealing with that issue other than by appointing a substitute decision maker. Um, Victoria, interestingly, since 2019, or since the act came into effect in 2020, has the capacity for supported decision makers, which are people who are also, they, they're people who you, the person retains the capacity to make the decision, but they need some support to do that, maybe to collect information, or maybe it's to help the decision that they make give effect to it in some way, or maybe it's to communicate the decision. So we have a, a new 
a new uh, role there, which is less restrictive than getting a substitute decision maker. Conservatorship in California seems to have those two types for the person and for the estate. What seemed to be different, and I, I only did sort of a skim of the California law, we can have tailored laws in Victoria or tailored orders. So you get an order that's specific to the issue or the problem. Whereas I, when I looked at the California law, it seemed to be that it was a bit more, you're a bit less able to have tailored laws. So for instance, a tailored law would be if you've got a problem about your accommodation, you can't make a decision about your accommodation, you just get a, an order that gives the power for accommodation. Whereas I had the sense, and I could be wrong about the Californian one, but that you might just get a blanket order that would deal oh. with your person or your property, and then oh. you can lose everything else. Although I started to read something about medical stuff, which seemed to think that was a bit more tailored. So I was a bit confused about that, but I, I have a sense that it's not as tailored as it is in, in Victoria. It's certainly nice to hear that there's um, the difference that I hear anyway that you're describing is that, um, that it must be scary for somebody who is the subject of one of these um, actions and um, someone like, um, not like Britney Spears, but someone in her position here in Australia to think that, um, that that blanket idea means your your whole autonomy is just given over, and um, so it's comforting to hear that, that there's a, there's the capacity now in Victoria for something um, more nuanced to to happen uh, here. So that, um, yes, we support... have plenary orders in Victoria from 1986 to 2020, but the 2019 Act did away with plenary orders. They're fairly rare, except in relation to financial matters, but in what, relation what, to life, they're very rare. What's a plenary order for our listeners? Plenary order is kind of like those global orders that they had in um, uh, in, in California, where you, you lose everything, you know, and that, but they're yeah. fortunately fairly rare in relation to guardianship, but you, you, know, you lost all your rights pretty much. Mm. Yes, it's, it's um, I guess, the, the one that, the, the most disturbing part of this, of her story for me is the idea that your, the um, control of your body, um, her reproductive um, um, autonomy is really disturbing. <laughs> um, is it possible to have that happen here? Yes, it is. Um, I think there are, there are three three types of procedures that you need would need VCAT approval for. Um, they are a termination of pregnancy. So you couldn't get a guardian to determine, to make a decision about that. If uh, there's a donation of tissue to another person, and you know, that does come up for people with disabilities who might be the perfect match for a, a relative. And they may want to give, but they might not have decision-making capacity for that. That would have to go before VCAT to make that decision. And the third one is sterilisation. A person, yeah. an adult cannot be sterilised without a VCAT approval. And that might be even if they've got cancer, um, but it would, it's going to result in sterilisation. We have to go before VCAT. Now, contraception is a, a, a difficult one. Um, 
there can be good medical reasons why you know a person might have to go on a contraceptive for instance if some um, women have severe pain as, and and so as part of having to deal with that as a medical issue to deal with that pain issue that might be put on a contraceptive i think the controversial one is in relation to where it's being used for control of fertility and i think i go back again to the convention on the rights of persons with disability article 23 is very clear that a person has the right to marry and found a family and a person has the right to decide on the number and spacing of their children and they have the right to retain their fertility on an equal basis with others. They're very clear rights. Um, but I, I throw up a scenario for you which shows that it's complex. Can I do that? Please. Please. All right. Scenario. So you might have a person with a mental illness. Um, if, if they were to become pregnant, the medications would have a serious effect on the, the unborn child. And if they went off the medications, it would have a serious effect on their own mental health. A very complex dynamic. Mm. So there are, I think, at those sorts of very complex situations, decisions might have to be made. And so taking that, that example, that sort of ethical uh, quandary or dilemma, I guess, that you put forward, pretending that we're a court, um, following, I guess, as you said, the the new approach, I, I actually hadn't heard of the, the step away from best interests and this now move into uh, will and intent, was it, sorry? Preferences. preferences. Will and preferences. How does the, what, what kind of indicia does the court consider as uh, relevant to trying to understand what a person's will and preferences might be? Well, they first of all start with the person. So they ask the person what their will and their preference is in relation to the particular matter. So if it's about contraception, what do they want? Um, if it's VCAT making the decision, and you've got to just understand VCAT's got quite a slightly different role here in relation to decision making from a guardian that's appointed, because the guardian, they first of all have to decide if the guardian should have this authority, and then if the guardian's given that authority, then there's another question about how they exercise that authority. So there are different there are different requirements for both. So, but in the first one, Vika would have to say, well, is there a need for the appointment of a guardian? Is there a decision here that needs to be made? We need to know from the from the person where what they think about this. Is there a real issue for them around contraception? And, and if so, what are the dilemmas? So they'd be looking at that. They'd be looking at um, medical evidence, I suppose, as to what's going on for the person and the, you know, perhaps the person's also their mental illness. There might be expert evidence about that and how it affects them. So, and if they then to decide to appoint a guardian, then the guardian, first of all, has to decide, well, has to determine what the person's will and preferences are. And you know that's a really that comes from the the United Nations Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. Well, it's Article Twelve. So you try to find that, and people can fluctuate. Mm. So people can mm. sometimes say, "Yes, at this point, I don't want to become pregnant, but I might in the future." Or they might say, "No, I I really want to." 
And then there may be times where the whole thing about becoming pregnant is driven perhaps by their mental illness. So, but still you start with what they say. And then if you can't work it out from what they say, the next step is to say, well, what do we know about their um, values and how they've lived their life to try and work out what their will and preference might be? Mm. And let and and sometimes the way a person has lived their life does help uh, establish. You know, you can work out. Yes, I think this is what they would do. And then if you can't do that, the the act says, well, what is going to promote their personal and social well-being? And so that's mm. the third one. But, you know, in relation to the contraception one, you know, I think the person's will and preference would be very important there. And then if we had to go against it, it would be because of that issue of serious harm. But it's serious harm to the person. So there are real complexities around this. It's, yeah. it's so interesting, the, the idea of the fluctuations. I mean, you know, you don't have to have... Um, disability or be, or be dealing with mental health issues to have fluctuations we all have them in our lives wow. so I, I I'm just sort of thinking about if you know if there's a guardian in place then how does that person where do they go to ask for um, some intervention in the way the guardian is dealing with wow. um, their life you know according according to those you know responding yeah. to the fluctuations well, yes, and to take the example of Spears in a way, yeah. uh, she's been under this conservatorship with her father, and obviously we don't know the intricacies of the US law, but for over a decade now and and, and almost without almost proving uh, that she is able to um, maintain a life, a business, um, uh, a house, her own personal administration, I, sus I suspect to at least a, a, to some extent, um, in Australia, would that kind of extent or length of time uh, bode well for that person going and asking for a review from the court to have their guardianship changed? I think this is the one, uh, one of the other complexities of this area of law. So um, Victorian law says each decision is, it, the matter is decision specific. So if I lack capacity in one area of my life, decision-making capacity in one area of my life, it doesn't mean I lose it in another area or I don't have that capacity in another area. So what VCAT has to decide is what areas have, might I have lost decision-making capacity, but what have I, ret I retained in my life? Now, in this Spears case, um, the fact that she's very gifted and experienced and this, you know, quite a phenomenon and with her creativity and her music, that might be show she's got capacity in that area of her life. Um, equally, though, it doesn't necessarily mean that, that she has capacity for the minutiae of financial transactions and investment and all those sorts of things. I don't know. And, and I don't know what the evidence was before the court in trying to work that out. But it's it's quite a difficult matter but the fact that she's able to be very creative in her music um does that mean she can't make decisions about her children again i don't know what the expert evidence was i don't know how they came to that conclusion it's, it's yeah reminds me a long time ago i was in a community legal center and um it reminds me about the notion of value with the case like with a gentleman who 
who was going to VCAT for the autonomy over his finances um, because he was a heavy smoker and, and he wanted, um, and a social worker was saying, you know, spending too much money on smoking. And so he was turning off the heater in winter and going to soup kitchens and, and um, you know, what, what you were discussing then was hang, hang on, you know, and the, um, the position on his part as I was watching this was that just the fact that he was making those decisions, balancing his own budget, meant that he clearly had capacity over his finances. So, and that makes me think then very much about how values um, come into this and whose values um, are brought into this process, you know, because we all live our life by different values, you know. So um, how are those, how are the, that person's personal values taken account of? Well, I think in relation to the act we now have in Victoria, which was to privilege person's agency by giving effect to their, that their will and preferences um, meant that they were, you know, that is to be valued first. It's only when that is going to result in serious harm to the person that they can be overridden. Yes, that's a really interesting idea. My idea of what serious harm to someone is different to, you know, there are there are four of us in this conversation now and we each have a different idea of what's serious harm to other people. Such an interesting, oh, my gosh, we could keep going on. Forever. <laughs> uh, before we do, and we've got a few more minutes, but we're just going to take a very brief break. Uh, so stay tuned and we'll continue talking with Phil Grano um, after the break. Fitzroy Legal Service has launched a free information and advice phone service for people who have been stopped, questioned, fined or charged for breaching the new COVID-19 restrictions. Have you been fined or charged under the new laws or stopped and questioned by police for being outside? Call 0434 136 501. Weekdays between 9am and 5pm. That's 0434 136 501. Or head to fitzroy-legal.org.au for more information. You can also report incidents at covidpolicing.org.au. Fitzroy Legal Service is a 3CR supporter. You're listening with Done By Law on 3CR 855 AM. We're speaking with Phil Grano from the OPA, the Office of the Public Advocate in Victoria, regarding the operation of guardianship laws in Victoria. Um, We've just had a fascinating conversation um, about how the guardianship laws uh, operate in Victoria. And I I guess um, in light of Britney Spears in the States, thinking about uh, how sort of equivalent laws would be affected over vulnerable Victorians. just before the break, we were talking about, you know, how the court would might consider particular values, I guess, of different people and take that into account when um, trying to determine what somebody's will and preference might be. I wonder, Phil, um, if you could reflect a little on um, another act in Victoria that 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 uh, that might provide some guidance: the Charter um, of Human Rights, because. Uh, I know that, for example, there's a, a, a very well-known case in, in this area of law, Patrick's case, I think, that was determined over a 
10 years ago now. Um, but that made a really important decision, didn't it, about how VCAT could take into account someone's rights uh, when, uh, when looking at whether they have the ability to administer their own affairs. Yes, the Charter applies to VCAT because VCAT is a public authority. It applies to the public advocate when we're guardian because we're a public authority. It doesn't apply to a private guardian. So, but VCAP, when it's making decisions, it must interpret the Guardianship Administration Act so that it, the interpretation of that is compatible with human rights. And the Charter, oh, well, the Guardianship Administration Act does allow for the limitation of people's human rights. Let's be clear about that. This is draconian law in a sense, you know. Um, the Charter mentions a number of human rights are generally affected. So if I'm going to place someone in a nursing home um, where the doors are locked, for instance, which is a fairly um, often a reason why we're being appointed to try to make that decision, a person has a right to liberty and they have a right to humane treatment when deprived of liberty. So if the person, you know, it's fairly, the application is made on fairly trivial grounds, um, they're not at great risk then, you know, you'd wonder why the application is made and perhaps the the charter would indicate they're not, you know, we shouldn't be taking such steps. It's not proportionate given oh. the person's uh, dementia and the way they're managing their lives to, to, give, to appoint a guardian. Then again, there may be such serious circumstances that it is proportionate and justified um, to appoint a guardian. So they're the sorts of um, things with the way the charter impacts not just VCAP, but also the public advocate. When we're making decisions, mm. we have to consider those things as well. Mm. Mm. And in terms of the vulnerable people that you might assist with in these kinds of matters, how, uh, for example, if, if, a, if, a, if a client um, was in need of, of representation or, uh, and was an Aboriginal person, um, how does the court or I guess the OPA take into account their cultural rights uh, and the impact that guardianship might have in particular to somebody with, with, with that particular cultural background or um, how, how are those kind of things woven, in, woven into the decision making? Um, well, I think for the ones that the guardians I know have been dealing with these sorts of matters, um, they would have a fair bit to do with the person's um, cultural community to find oh. out what are the connections there, what are the supports there, what are the difficulties there, um, how that community. So they'll try and find some of that background information out and to see if there are supports there. Um, and, you know, these things can be rather complicated. Um, we, we might also um, be, you know, if the matters before recap, it might be also necessary to try try to help the person get uh, legal support from a from a service like VALS, um, so that the person has representation as well. Oh. Um, mm. But these things are, are are important because sometimes you know, and I, I won't. There there are sometimes where there are uh, a person wants to break free of their cultural background. And there are other oh. times when they want to be married to it, you know. Oh. So it's, 
it's not a, you know, these, the interplay can be very interesting. And that's why you're just kind of a, a one size fits all. Um, it, it's, uh, it, it really is having to go to the particular of that person's life and try and work from there and see it somewhat as far as best we can through their eyes. And I think mm. that's, that's obviously why it sounds that um, learning from you today, why Victoria's laws um, seem uh, at least a more appropriate and proportionate uh, law because it's trying to start from the position of the person and their will and preference as the guiding light through that process. But um, I think that's probably all we have time for, unfortunately, um, tonight. It's just been such a fascinating discussion, though, and um, I've learned a lot about this area of law, um, and I'm, I think Sue and Indra would feel the same. Um, thank you so much, Phil, for joining us um, this afternoon. Um, could you perhaps, just to see us out, just let us know if people wanted to learn more about what the public advocate does or about this area of law, um, or they want to make a complaint about um, how they've been treated, uh, where should they go? Best place to start is our website www.publicadvocate.vic.gov.au. Um, but if you put in right. Public Advocate Victoria, um, we've got an advice service, we've got lots of information. If you're making a complaint, I think there's an, you can access um, uh, a link from the website to, to do that as well. Fantastic. We'll, we'll be able to put up the link on, on our website um, uh, to this episode as well. So listeners can certainly follow the link um, there as well. For our listeners, um, when uh, Phil mentioned VALS, he means the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service. Uh, the program's available on podcast and uh, you can also go to the 3CR website and head to the Done By Law page. Um, now stay tuned for the wonderful voices of West Papua.